You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Albion popped out their latest accounts at around bedtime on Tuesday. Then, less than 24 hours on, the boys took to the pitch for their latest regulation, dominate and low-score draw it appearance back in dear old Brighty. So, with Tuesday grey and Wednesday too, we needed a cure for our blues, and it's Friday. So, we're in love because we are delighted to be warmly welcoming back to the pod the um, love, love chat himself, legendary uni lecturer and price of football star turn mr kieran Maguire. afternoon good sir how are you well uh, i'm absolutely chuffed because if you actually you can't see uh, the wall uh, to my right but it's actually covered with discs of the cure so so anything that uh, that refers <laughs> to robert smith in 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 a, in a positive manner i'm i'm absolutely delighted to be associated with so thanks very much for the intro oh it's a pleasure. Um, Peter was slapping his head, face palm style. And <laughs> um, yes, anyway, um, well, I mean, I, I did detect you might be a Cure fan, so I thought I'd throw that one in. I was going to go with Joy Division, but I thought that was too obvious. And also, I don't really have any uh, anything to work with there, <laughs> intro-wise. Um, but anyway, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Um, last time was, I think, early into the second period of lockdown, I think it was, sometime around the autumn. Um but uh, in the meantime, Albion have been embarking on another season of, well, keeping us stressed and not quite able to relax. We'll get into the latest instalments of that with the Fulham game coming up. Um, we're also going to go into those aforementioned accounts in a little bit more detail um, so we can get the, uh, well, the expert view on uh, what's been published and what this may possibly mean, good, bad or otherwise. Um, First of all, though, uh, another guest we had on not too long ago was your dear friend, Mr. Kevin Day, um, who, uh, who was very complimentary about us on your show, I, I heard. Um, he was calling us Brighton Rocks, but we'll, uh, we'll forgive the slight anomaly there. Um, <laughs> I, I hope he, uh, he wasn't too traumatised by the experience. Uh, no private words of despair with you, was there? No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, Kevin is, is an absolute delight. Uh, his knowledge of football is is pretty vast. 
uh, he's, he's he's a thoroughly decent bloke all round. You know, he he, do, he does a lot of things which which he won't publicise, but and I won't embarrass him by saying, but he, he does an awful lot of work behind the scenes um, for for good causes, um, and he's a huge football fan. And 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 yes, he wants Brighton to lose every game. And I'd be absolutely disgusted if he if his attitude was any different to that, because as a Brighton fan, I, I always want Palace to lose. Except, you know, this season, you know, if, if they are playing uh, Sheffield United or Fulham, you, you get that horrible, horrible sense before the match. You feel you feel slightly dirty, secretly wanting them to to, to not get turned over in those matches. Yeah, it's like they went, when they beat Cardiff a couple of seasons ago and kept us up effectively, and it was like it felt really uncomfortable surviving because Palace won a game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it's wrong, but it's right. <laughs> it's one of the perils of the Premier League, isn't it, as uh, mm-hmm. as it currently stands? Um, yeah, I mean, he was a good guy. He's a really good guest, and we enjoyed having him on. And um, he um, he said he would give us a certain amount of time, and um, and then he went way over the amount that he said. So hopefully, he hasn't got divorced off the back of that. <laughs> I think his wife was quite pleased to have him out of the way for the evening, yes. um, packed away in his garage, wasn't he? I think. Um, but no, it was good to have him on, and it's great to have you back on as well. I, I notice you've been busy. In fact, well, as if you're ever not busy, um, but you. You popped up on the Blackpool vidcast, which I caught the other week, um, just before the, uh, the the match. That was quite entertaining, I have to say. Uh, good lads, by the sounds of it, that lot, and um, and uh, it was good value. Um, I noticed you also popped in your uh, one of your anecdotes about uh, the nightclub. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah. R- running a, br- a Blackpool nightclub is 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 never going to be. Uh, a vanilla experience. Uh, it, it, was, <laughs> it, it, it was actually good in a way because it, it made me realise that I, I needed to to move on in terms of what I was doing for a living. And uh, I, I moved into education on the back of that, which I'd secretly wanted to do for years. So uh, whilst, whilst I was in trauma for some time after my Blackpool Nightpool experiences, uh, all's well that ends well. The mystique continues to grow around you with the with the anecdotes. I'm sure they'll uh, they'll continue apace. Um, one other thing, um, I've got to ask you about actually. Um, well, a couple of things, in fact, related to price of football. First of all, um, based on information I've picked up listening to the show, I've got to ask, um, how's Finley and how's this squeaky toy? <laughs> uh, well, well, Finley is uh, Finley is my dog. For people that aren't aware, he's he's an English setter. He's extremely bouncy. Um, and, uh, yeah, he did interrupt one of the podcasts by wandering it. He can, he can open doors. So even though th- this, th- the office in which I'm working from, uh, is sealed slightly, um, he does have the ability to open the doors and he, he will potentially wander in with a squeaky chipmunk or armadillo. Um, so if you hear strange noises in the background, it, it don't, don't adjust your set. It's, it's merely uh, a dog that wants, uh, wants attention. I'm half expecting a cameo appearance at some point. Yes, looking forward to it. Um, the other thing is um, we're going to see if we can uh, tick off anything of the traditional uh, price of football bingo cards, which I've been doing in recent <laughs> weeks. Um, um, one thing that won't probably come up is um, Kevin saying uh, anything about Palace because he's not on the show. But uh, apart from that, I'm thinking a, a few of the other things might uh, rear their heads. I'll let you know how you've done later. Right. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, just just quickly before we uh, we get into the the, the match and the um, the Albion accounts, just a few bits of footy news run through briefly. Um, and uh, starting with the news that Frank Lampard 
was replaced by Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea uh, in the last week or so. Um, interesting uh, hearing about the, uh, the finances involved there in terms of his wages. You were saying he was on about eight million a year, which is uh, that's a reasonably good wage, I suppose. Not yeah, too I bad. Like that. <laughs> um, so we'll see how Tuchel does. I do like him as a manager. I think he could be an interesting choice, but um, seemed a bit harsh. Frank Lampard getting sacked, but it He's seemed very quite, Chelsea. Um, you know, done done an amazing job, has he? He's done, he's done a solid job. He won the league at PSG, but couldn't quite win in the Champions League. He he got them close with Dortmund, but didn't quite win the league. You know, he's never quite done what Chelsea will be wanting to do. So it'll be the first time he's really kind of obviously PSG have to win the French league, don't they? It's kind of yeah, yeah. It's compulsory. I mean, there's no way that they, that squad should do anything other than win that as a canter. And I think last season they didn't even win it by that much, I think, in the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, in other news, Ibra and Lukaku had a nice little incident, didn't they? Locking horns, accusations of racism. Um, Ibrahimovic said of the incident in classic Ibrahimovic style, Zlatan does not do racism. <laughs> So that was a brilliant, brilliant quote. He's third person himself again. Kieran, um, what do you make of people that third person themselves? And is is um, Ibrahimovic uh, an accepted exception? Well, Kieran Maguire doesn't like people who talk about themselves in third person. <laughs> to be perfectly frank with you, um, there, there is there is no place for any form of racism in the game. I think we're all agreed on that. Um, Ibrahimovic doesn't have a record of thinking. Yeah, yes, he, he he knows how to compose a soundbite. Um, I, I, I've read the the supposed comments made, and they they weren't pleasant. They were making reference to to other issues uh, in in respect of uh, Romelu Lukaku's uh, previous clubs. Um, it's it, it's it's big boys acting like little boys, unfortunately, which which is why we love football. Indeed, yeah. Um, on a more unsavoury note, um, so definitely some racial abuse. Man United players this week were the latest to be subjected to that um, through social media. And just today, we've been hearing that Romain uh, Sawyers uh, was racially abused. A message sent to him during the game after he was responsible for the third goal concession for West Brom in their thrashing versus Man City. So this is continuing a pace, isn't it? It just isn't going away at all. Um on a lighter note, you wonder about these people as well. I mean, doing anything like that on social media is going to get you caught. You, you, they can track yeah. you. It's so obvious. Why would you do it? I mean, it's even if you have those disgusting views, why say it in a way that obviously can be tracked to you? Mm. It's just people are just so stupid. I just cannot relate to it whatsoever. I just can't understand. No, I, I can't either. I'm not saying. I'm saying, but even if you do have those awful thoughts, keep them to yourself. Don't like try do it in a way that's easily caught. You know, it's kind of yeah, bizarre. Yeah. People should know by now that these people get caught. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, that West Brom result was one of two key results that benefited us. Newcastle's defeat to Leeds being the other. Um, but one that didn't go our way was at Old Trafford, where Sheffield United virtually doubled their points tally, didn't they, uh, for the whole season by winning 2-1. Although that was still much to my amusement as a football fan with a healthy disregard for Man United, um, I found that quite uh, quite entertaining given that we've got the luxury of knowing we're still 10 points ahead of them. Um, so it's, we can afford to laugh for now, uh, at least. Let's hope that's not an amazing comeback run coming up for them. But a, a hell of a result, anyway. Um, it must also have um, hit Derby fans hard as they watch their Premier League lowest ever points tally uh, looking a whole lot safer. Um, 11 points, of course, famously they got, which which seems ridiculously low. I still can't believe they got such a low figure 
Sheffield United now, of course, up to eight points. So it's looking like uh, Derby, Kieran's favourite club, um, <laughs> it's grinning cheekily. Um, they um, they are also uh, yeah, they're, they're looking safe for another year almost, aren't they? They're not going to be as happy about that as the um, the Berlin club, who were happy to keep their record as the worst club when Schalke won. Yeah, that's right. There's a, what's the name of that club? They've got a crazy yeah. name, haven't they? Something yeah. like um, something in Berlin, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, it's like it, Pyramid Berlin or something crazy, something something really random. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was a very curious story I heard the other week. Um, anyway, um, yeah, in terms of that, Kieran. What did you make of uh, the midweek results? We'll get into the Albion game in a minute, but uh, in terms of the other results and how things have been going so far, um, are you quite relaxed when you're watching these other results rolling in? Oh, no, no, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm monitoring them with a great degree of attention. Um, Burnley have had a couple of cracking results. You know, the sides that they've beaten, mm. decent sides, uh, which has been frustrating. I, I, I never really thought that Burnley were genuine contenders for relegation that mm. they've they've got the experience they they know how to keep clean sheets as well mm. which i think is something um and even though you know them beating liverpool wasn't good for us i was absolutely delighted for ashley barnes because mm. uh, yeah i i i can remember certainly his, his time in league 1 when he scored 20 goals and he, and i thought he made a superb impact got did got, got very little credit for it and then when he was uh, playing for us at the Amex in the championship, again, a hugely underrated player. Um, and he's, he's gone on to prove that he's capable of playing in the Premier League. He's been there for four or five years now. Not, not many people can say that. So, so, uh, um, that they um, keeps getting resurfaced about how he, he couldn't even, he's not even good enough for League One or something like that. Well, I think he's proved the, the, the poster wrong on that, definitely. Oh, oh, yeah, and and that, and that that poster in in typical cowardly style has has disappeared from North Stand yeah. for years, um, mainly <laughs> on the back of Ashley Barnes proving himself to be a Premier League player. Yeah, which is always great to see, isn't it? I do like to see people see people go with their tail between their legs. Yeah. Um, I any any disappointed when he left personally, I was really gutted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any um any points on Derby you wanted to mention at this point, Kieran, or are you you going to leave that one alone today? <laughs> well, for people that aren't familiar, uh, I, I, I do this football finance show and Derby County have appeared in it on more occasions than anybody else. And we've always said with, with regards to the show that I do with Kevin, um, that if, if you're on there once or twice, that, that's fine. It could be a good news story. It could be a funny story. If you're there on a regular basis, it tends to be bad news. And Derby, uh, failed takeover, non-payment of wages, uh, sacking their captain for gross misconduct at a mm. team bonding exercise where he was guilty of being in the back of a car um, and having the driver run away from the car. Um, after Good the bit of team went, bonding. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> fa- fantastic stuff. So um, there's there's loads of stuff. Mm. Uh, they've, they've just got round to paying the December wages and they're saying that that's a great achievement. It's the 29th of January, in case people haven't noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure if, if yeah, and we know that football players are are well remunerated, but even so, they've they've got commitments, um, and it's not just football players that potentially were being impacted by this, of course, because a football club employs many people. So, yeah, D- Derby County uh, have been in in my laser beams, um, and it, and it now is an, an in joke on the show, such that Derby County fans write in to complain when they're not on the show. <laughs> Brilliant! You've got to love it, haven't you? 
I, I think that, the best bit about that Richard Keogh story is the fact that the two guys who actually were the worst offenders were kept on by Derby. They weren't. They were fined a bit, weren't they? But they weren't actually sacked. Whereas he was, for some reason, sacked when he was a, lo- a lot lower offender in terms of what actually happened. Uh, and, and the reason why he was sacked because he's 34 and was in the last six months of his last 12 months of his contract. The two other players, um, the, the owner said, "Well, yeah, we could sell them for a fee, so I'm not going to sack them." So it, it was clear that there was no uh, moral or ethical uh, basis of the decision. It was purely monetary. Doesn't reflect particularly well on the club. Uh, But then looking at the reaction of fans on social media, they become weaponized. They say, oh, no, no, he he was definitely wrong because he was sitting in the back of a car partially due to the fact that he can't drive um, and he he didn't have his seatbelt on, so he deserves dismissal. I think, well, yeah, that's... And and uh, he's he's mm. won he's won his appeal recently. Yeah, which means um, a big well, well, well. as well, doesn't he? He's yeah. got quite, owned quite a lot of damages. Yeah, yeah, a couple of mil maybe. Probably quite like a lot that. more than they've actually mm. paid him in the remaining months of his contract. Ironically, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Really, but there we go. And what another certain uh, podcasting comedian might be starting to fidget in his seat um, regarding those midweek results. As Palace maintained some woeful form, losing comfortably at home to the Hammers. I know it was 3-2 in the end, but a very late consolation involved there. Um, apparently very much second best. Um, so could they get dragged in, do you think? Possibly they are, I think, probably a bit too far away, realistically, aren't they? Um, given Fulham's points total of 13, isn't it? So they're about 10 points in it, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I. what, what Palace will do, they will tease us. And then they'll win two matches on the bounce. And yeah, it's, it's, it's our relegation hopes are dashed yet again. Um, but, but they have a get-out-of-jail-free card in, in the form of Wilfred Zaha, who, you know, as much as it grits my teeth to say it, is, is a superb footballer and can win a match on his own with, with you know, one piece of magic. And you know, he, he, he will do that on a couple of occasions before the end of the season. So I, I don't see Palace being an issue. Um, Newcastle are certainly coming within our our sights mm. uh, with their woeful run of form. Um, just before this show, I was phoned by uh, a journalist at Newcastle to ask us about the Albion uh, because they they are genuinely getting very twitchy there. Mm. Yeah. Bruce well, in other- even when they were doing better, was he? It's not like he's been he's been unpopular ever since he's gone there. Even when they were mid table, so. He certainly is uh, under a lot of pressure now. He's very lucky there's no crowd there. So, yeah. Somebody made the particularly lucky that there's no crowd at home, of course. Someone made the point, it may actually have been yourselves on Price of Football, I can't remember, but somebody said that uh, it's pretty convenient for Mike Ashley to have uh, Steve Bruce take the flak by being an unpopular figure remaining in situ, um, divert some of the attention away from himself. And as long as, uh, I know you did say on your show, as long as um, uh, as they get 17th, Ashley would be happy because they're getting the Premier League money and not chucking loads of money at it. Yeah, I mean, and, and Mike Ashley, for, for all his wrongs, and there are many, you know, let, 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 we, have, we have to acknowledge this, um, he has lent Newcastle United £111 million interest-free. Uh, so you know, when fans say, well, you've not put any money into the club, well, yes, he has. Uh, the quality of the bar- the purchases is, is a separate issue, but I don't think you can actually hold an owner responsible for decisions which are made uh, by the, the manager and, and the recruitment team. Although technically he is the one who appoints them, I suppose, so if they're not doing a good job, you probably should 
remove them. But I mean, on paper, they had some pretty good signings this summer. I thought Hendricks was, was a pretty decent player at Burnley. Fraser and Wilson were both decent players when available. You know, when, when playing at um, Bournemouth, Lewis was on paper a good signing as well. I mean, they all looked pretty decent. And then, then I saw them second game of the season and they were absolutely dreadful. You wonder how they've got yeah. the points they have even, to be honest, given how they played against us. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Well, Albion news, uh, just to go through that briefly as we conclude the first part here. Um, as far as Albion are concerned, there was no major news really to report, other than the fact that Victor Gjokeres got off the, to a scoring start in the 57th minute of his loan debut uh, for Coventry City at home to poor old, not so brash now, are you boys, Sheffield Wednesday. They've really been in the dumps, haven't they, the last few years since... Uh, proffering the notion that they were a far better side than us in that playoff year. Not that I'm grinning uh, smugly to myself about that one. Uh, uh, this is after fellow Albion uh, to Kovloni, Leo Ostergaard, centre-back, had ventured forward from defence with purpose to threaten the Wednesday goal. Not the first time he's done that in uh, Kov's shirt this season. So it's looking quite good, actually, uh, looking a slick player. Uh, and it's good to see Jokeris get off the mark, even though that doesn't directly affect us this season, of course. Um, in other news, there's still no confirmation, as far as I'm aware, of Moises Caicedo's move. Um, I'm presuming we haven't heard anything in the last last hour or so when I last looked. Um, hopefully, we will get that one over the line. I'm, I'm suspecting, and we'll get into the accounts in a later part of the show, Kieran, but I'm suspecting, based on the figures, that we're unlikely to be splashing out any money on anyone else in this window. Um, your personal opinion, though, do you think we might do? Or could it be a loan, possibly, for a striker? Or are we literally going to settle with what we've got for the first team this season? I, I think if what we, we look to see what the club has done in, in recent months, you know, Percy Tau has effectively, is, is this window signing? Um, yeah, yeah, so we, we ignore things of that nature. Um, we brought in the Polish lads as well. Uh, Andy Sakiri, nobody was expecting him to be realistically, you know, even on the bench. Uh, so, We've actually got some players who are going to be available for the second half of the season who weren't really on the radar for the first half. And they, to me, they count as our signings. Um, I was phoned by an Ecuadorian journalist last week because they are they are very excited uh, about this potential deal taking place. Um, and if the case, yeah, the, the chances are there will be a fee there. Whether the player then gets immediately loaned out uh, and that, that could have to be an issue anyway, because he might not qualify uh, under home office regulations in terms of having the number of points. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd be surprised if he's, he's part of our 25 for the remainder of the season. But uh, I, I can't say anything else happening apart from players perhaps moving out on loan. So there's talk about Glenn going to uh, Forest to meet, you know, to, to, be, to meet up with Chris Hutton again. Um, and perhaps one or two other more of the fringe players, they might move out uh, as well. You know, J- Jason Malombi's already gone. Uh, yeah, there's no there's no sign of Shane Duffy coming back, but he might end up mm. at Nottingham Forest if, if the, some of the stories I hear are true. Um, so uh, it, it, I think more out than in. Yeah, I mean, with Mari also potentially rumoured to go to Forest, it's getting the band back together, isn't it? For Chris Hutton <laughs> on a ridiculous level. Um, It'll be interesting, actually, if that does happen, because I think Duffy would would probably do fine, wouldn't he, in the championship, despite the surprisingly bad um, uh, run he's had for Celtic. It sounds like he's having a terrible time there, which is a tragedy for him being a Celtic fan as well. I'm sure he would have loved that too. He He had a really good first two months, I think, and then it seemed to to all go wrong for Celtic as a whole, and he's been 
kind of one of the scapegoats for that, I think, probably. Yeah. And uh, Peter, in terms of signings, obviously you're completely satisfied. You wouldn't want a striker or a goalkeeping backup, I mean, would you at all? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do worry that we're quite weak in goal if um, if Sanchez gets an injury or loses form. And I do worry that we don't score enough up front. But, I mean, it looks like if we're losing £67 million last season, I imagine probably even more this season, judging by, you know, we've been the whole season without having anyone live, then I can understand why the club aren't risking it. And at this stage, you know, if you spend £30 million on a striker and then go down, you're in even more trouble. So, I mean, yeah, there's no guarantee for anything. I'd be more relaxed if the window passed and Fulham didn't sign a striker either, because I think that would be a... My worry was that they would strengthen and they would you know, spend quite a bit of money on a striker, and that would then leave them quite a lot stronger than... Than they are. Whereas if that doesn't happen as well, then we're both in the same boat because I don't see Cavalero getting the goals they need, and they seem to have moved on from Mitrovic being up front. Yeah, and I guess the propensity for people to want to risk anything in this window, given the circumstances, the financial peril everybody seems to have got themselves into now because of COVID, I, I would imagine is is well, it's reflected in the fact that hardly any business of note has happened at all, has it? This yeah. window, it's got to be the lowest. There was a BBC article saying I think at that point there were only four permanent deals. I think since yeah. then Ben Rama's moved to uh, West Ham permanently, making his loan permanent. So that's another yeah. one. But and one of them was like Andy Lonergan, who was a free transfer at 37 to be yeah. back up at West Brom. And the other one was a guy who went to Man U. I think was signed in the summer basically, but then it was confirmed now. So I mean, there's only really been two and. Of them, Snodgrass has probably not been that expensive. And the only big one is Morgan Sanson going to, to Villa. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of tells a story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know, OK, if you've got anything to add to that in terms of your views of the transfer window and um, the, the patterns and the, well, the lack of development. I, I guess it's a no-brainer. This is the case, isn't it, really? Well, if, if I was a football club executive, I would be looking at my budget for the remainder of 2021 and trying to cut back on what we'd refer to as discretionary costs. And the biggest discretionary cost for a football club is, is that of uh, player recruitment. So if you can get a player on a deal, on deal, then it's got to be a loan or a swap or things of that nature, unless you manage to offload one and you, you use the proceeds to, to buy a replacement. I mean, you mentioned Ben Rama. The only reason why West Ham have made that deal permanent is because they're trying to bring in Jesse Lingard on loans, and that free ups a lo- free ups frees up a loan space. Uh, it, w- it wouldn't have happened elsewhere, and, and of course, yeah, that they're now in with a chance of, of European football next season. So you could, it's it's a it's a logical thing to do to to try to invest a little bit more under those circumstances. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, well, we're going to have a break uh, for part end of part one. After this brief musical interlude, we'll be back with a review of the Fulham game. We hope you're enjoying listening to this latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. We are a podcast for all Albion fans and anyone else besides. But we are sponsored by Seagulls Over London. And if you are interested in joining and you live and or work in the city, then check out www.seagullsoverlondon.com where you will find out various information about events taking place and how to join. Thanks for listening to the message. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so we're back with part two, and now it's time to talk about a surprise scenario as Brighton played at home to Fulham. Yes, they attacked a lot, created plenty of chances, and drew at home. Oh, hang on, that's not a surprise at all, is it? Ah, dear. Here we go again, guys. Um, In fact, it was the same thing with extra anchovies, wasn't it, this one? We had a lot of chances. Um, It really felt like two points dropped. I'm 
surprisingly cool about the whole thing, I have to say. I, I'm not sure why, um, because I think we're, we're continuing to play well in general terms. Um, but uh, ultimately, it was another point. I guess it's vitally important we didn't lose the match, which, of course, we could have done right at the end. We'll get to that in a while. But, uh, yeah, a, a nil-nil draw. Um, that's a rarity, I guess, apart from the Burnley game. I don't think we've had one of those this season at home, have we? Um, what, what did you make of the game, Kieran, overall, first of all, before we get into the details? I, I thought we we played well for 90% of the pitch, which, mm. which, which has been the story of our season. Um, pe- people have been w- w- getting themselves worked up. I-, I would be far more concerned if we were playing the type of football that, that we experienced in in Chris Hutton's second season, yeah, that second half of the season, where not only were we losing matches, but it, it looked as if you know the, the players had been eleven strangers who had you know, been walked off a park together. Um, the, the, the goals will come. We're, we're never going to be prolific in this division. Um, lots of fingers have been pointed at Neil Mopai, but you know, he, he's out. He's scored seven goals. The next highest score has got two. So, uh, you know, he's, he's bearing his share of the burden. If he gets another six or seven goals this season, then I think that will be an excellent return. And I'm not quite sure what people genuinely expect. If he was a clinical finisher, he, he wouldn't be playing for Brighton Nova Albion. So, you know, he, he's getting into chances. He always puts in a shift. He, he makes himself a pest. Um, what, what I did really like on, on uh, Wednesday night was the fact that we were, we were stealing the ball from, um, from Fulham. Lots of turnovers. And then we were creating chances. Clearly, the frustration is, is the chances aren't being converted into goals. None of them were sitters, but... Even so, on on the infamous XG, XG loves Brighton Hove Albion, as, as we know this season. Um, we we would we should really have hoped to have done better. Um, and a, a number of those chances, uh, you know, I, I watched the Manchester City match at West Bromwich Albion, and and the nature of the way that City took their chances, and uh, they were they were very clinical. They, they had six shots. I think they had seven shots in the match, and they scored five goals. Um, our, our ability is to hit the goalkeeper directly, and, and we're not making the goalkeepers move very far, which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that has been a recurring theme, particularly in this game. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll get into the, the details of it now. So, I mean, it did start a little bit ropey because you had Inus had a drive just over the bar from range in just the fifth minute um, after a fairly slow start for us. So it could have it could have been worse at the beginning, but um, after that. Uh, we were much the better side overall general play. Um, we had Veltman and Gross with a neat one-two out of defence. Ball down the right touchline, which really Fulham should have cut out. But a, a bit of ponderance from the uh, defender allowed more pay in. Got into the box, squared it for Trossard. And that, that was probably the worst miss, actually, of the game. Trossard had time. He, he took time to compose himself, which is what, what you want him to do if he's got the time to do it. And so he took a touch. And then he just shot it straight at the goalkeeper, as you said. Um, I mean, it was, it was a golden chance. He could have got uh, position and placement on that a lot better. Um, there was even the option to square it to um, Alexis McAllister, who was to his left completely unmarked if he didn't fancy the shot. Um, clearly, he did fancy it, but didn't get it, which was that was the big gutter, wasn't it, really? Um, I mean, that was, that was the first chance. 18th minute, uh, Pascal Grosch had the free kick, dunk headed 
straight at the goalkeeper. Um, good free kick in, by the way. That was a decent move. Just He just didn't get the angle on it, did he? Got the power, but not the angle. Um, and then we had Dunk, Alexis McAllister, some good play, Trossard crosses, just goes behind Morpé, uh, or beyond Morpé, I should say. Um, I don't think there was much to read into that, really. It was the right sort of ball in, just a little bit too much whip on it. Or we needed someone with Dan, ben, uh, Dan Burns' height to stretch out for that one, I think. Um, Webster, then with an error in the 36th minute, leading to Caballero having a shot just wide. That, that was one of the only threats really Fulham had in the game. And then we had Morpé uh, winning a free kick. Um, Grosch take um, just wide with the with the free kick, low to the goalkeeper's left, which was, again, not a bad effort. Um then we had a Veltman dodgy header, which led to uh, Decortivo Reed blasting just over in the 49th minute as we moved into the second half there. The 70th minute was probably the most impressive move of the game. This was the quick free kick after Veltman had been fouled. He himself took it very quickly, possibly before the ball had stopped rolling. So it could have been interesting if we'd scored there, whether that would have been disallowed. Um, it probably had almost stopped, I would say, is, is probably what's happened there. Anyway, it was a quick free kick. McAllister with a delightful little flick pass into Morpé, who was in between two defenders, took his shot first time with power and purpose, but just over the bar. So, yet again, we, we missed the target. If that had been a goal, um, guys, I think that would have been one of the goals of the season um, in general. Uh, what do you make of that? That's if it had been allowed, of course, as well. What did you think of that move? Um, Peter? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I would debate whether it would be allowed by VAR, to be honest. I think yeah. moving, it certainly wasn't in the right spot. Um, but I don't know if they look at that. I'm not sure if they would look at that sort of thing. Anyway, um, I was going to say, actually, I think the better move was the one where where Mope and um, where it hit Areola from Mope from close range. I think that was, if anything, a better move because it was like through the, the gears from our own half and moved it down to the wing for White to cross. And it was a really well-worked well, yeah, that was well. that was the next next chance of yeah. note actually. Eighty first yeah, minute, really, really, yeah, similar, yeah, very similar to our Leeds one in a way. If we we're probably even better actually. Yeah, um, yeah, a couple of things with that actually. Um, Alexis McAllister, who I've been really impressed with, I've, I've always known there was a good player in there. I was looking forward to seeing him come into his own, hopefully, and and he is starting to. He was at the centre of things again there to start that move. Grosh fed in that wide to wide, as you said. The cross came in. Morpé, again, didn't have much time to get a shot off. We did uh, save. It bounced out back out to White, and I thought White did really well there. It was a stylish first-time clipped ball back in, which which put it straight back in the danger zone on the front foot, um, gave us our best chance of something. And then, of course, as, as you said, um, Solly had the shot, uh, which was deflected over the bar. It just um, didn't quite land for Trossard, did it? Because if Trossard had got it, I think he'd have been had a pretty much open goal, but it didn't quite come down for him. So it went a bit further back and that gave them that little bit of chance to to get back and block, which is a brilliant block, to be fair. The defender did really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was so close. It was, yeah, such a yeah. good chance. I mean, we started, to, Kieran, we started to really step on at that point, didn't we? The 70th minute and 81st minute chances we just talked about there around that time in the game. We we stepped on, and that, I was quite impressed with the fact we were not just taking the game to Fulham, but really going at them. And we looked very purposeful and quite direct in a good way. Uh, would you agree with that? And what did you make of it? Yes, yeah, we 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 had more chances. We certainly had more creative play. Um, it was just the, the, the chances which you mentioned were promising without being golden and mm. uh, I think the contrast between the Fulham match and the Leeds game 
I, I thought we played equally well in both matches, except the yeah. the Leeds chance was unmissable. Um, the Fulham chances were missable, and it's our inability to to convert good chances into goals uh, is 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 our Achilles heel. You know, I think we're all aware of of the nature of the issue. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm firmly of the view that the club have a have a strategy and a plan, and that's shared by by Dan and Graham and and, and yeah, Tony Bloom as well uh, as, as to what they want the club to do. Converting that into to, to results has, has been been frustrating. But the, the 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 attitude of some fans, which is Potter doesn't know what he's doing. Is is nonsense. Yeah, the one thing he does know is is what he's doing. Uh, it, it's just not it's not crystallising into the results which um, we we deserve. Um, and, and I do think you know, yeah, people say yes, it's a results business. Well, you know, we're, there's 18 games to go, and uh, we're not we're not mathematically down yet. Partly due to the fact that we're not in the bottom three at the present moment in time. Uh, so, so just just keep continuing. Clearly, we've got a really tough week coming up with Spurs and Liverpool, but uh, you know, we've we've drawn against Liverpool. We were only just beaten by Spurs in the in the reverse matches um, two or three years ago. I'd have expected zero points from those two matches. I, I still think we can get something. It, it might not be very much, but um, you know, we, we we are the draw specialists in this division, and there's a chance to get uh, at least one point. I think from these next two matches. Spurs, of course, being a home game, it's almost certain, isn't it? <laughs> um, the frustration, in a way, is that we're so, we're we're not like the Hutton days, where obviously we were just like backs to the wall, holding on. It, it does feel like we're so close, but it does feel like with the strikers that we've got currently, maybe we're not going to make that jump. I don't know. It's, it's. I mean, maybe I'm hoping Mope at some point will go on a run, or we'll get Welbeck fit, and he can start scoring. You know, if he can get nine and Mope can get eleven or twelve, then you're okay. You're covered. But it relies on Welbeck being fit, and it just feels like we're so close to that. We just need that one player, arguably, to to make that jump. And obviously, with the finances, I get why they're not doing it. But it. Whereas under Hutton, I think we always felt we'd be down the bottom five. We now feel like we're actually we could do better, but we just can't quite make that leap. Yeah, and the level and the continued level of uh, of praise and compliment, compliments we're getting from the from the general media is it almost makes it more frustrating in a way because you can see that they're willing it to happen as well, and we're itching for a time where actually we start getting praised for not just playing well but doing well. Um, Although not from the Guardian though, yesterday in their uh, rumor column. <laughs> oh yeah, what did, what did it say? Uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was quite funny actually. Yeah, talking about us having a target from uh, some Milton Keynes, and he was saying. By, uh, Graham Potter always also wants Milton Keynes Don's fullback Matthew Sorinola to join his all passing, no scoring project performance art, art project, which I thought was harsh, but also summed it up quite nicely. <laughs> a... Performance art project, wow. <laughs> but it was quite entertaining. But yeah. I, I've been quite buoyed actually in the last week or so by listening to um, Attila popping up on a couple of platforms uh, reg- I regularly listen to. And um, and he was he was saying things along the lines of, well, he's loving the football, he's loving being in the Prem, he's loving Potter, he thinks this is the best team we've ever had, and we're playing great football, and he wants Potter to stay for as long as he lives. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, within reason, I think that's that's a fair assumption, really, to or a, a fair assertion to make, based on the fact we're playing good football and we're in the top flight. If we can carry on doing that, i.e. we're doing well enough to carry on doing that. Um I'd, I'd be happy and entertained with that. Um, he's really sort of revitalised my 
confidence. Um, and I, I think we, yeah, we, we are just a frustrating couple of steps short, aren't we, of, of what we need. Um, I think as an element of it is confidence. I think if certain players can just get into the zone, particularly the forwards, and particularly other than Morpay, the other forwards as well can start to to hit, hit form. Uh, Trossard, for example, can start to find the target properly. Um, then we're in we're into a different zone of the pitch, aren't we? I think the real um, bonus of the last three games we only conceded one goal as well, which whereas before yeah. we were conceding two or three a game sometimes and quite sloppy goals and we were struggling to match that in, in games, whereas yeah. now, you know, if we do nick a goal, we actually might be enough in the game, you know. We only conceded one at City, we didn't concede at Leeds, we didn't concede against mm-hmm. Fulham. So that is a bonus. They seem to have got the solidity back at the back, which is really positive. Yeah. Although well, we, I, we were sloppy at times, I thought. We, Hmm. You know, Ben White got caught on a couple of occasions. You mentioned Webster. Yeah. Um, better sides than Fulham would have punished us for those yeah. those errors. And I think there is, there is a quality issue in the Premier League. When Fulham made similar mistakes, we failed to punish them. They failed to punish us. That's why both clubs are in the bottom six. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because um, we've played two games with them in the last like month, and both of them. While we've been the better team in both of them, in my view, you can see why both teams are struggling to score only down the bottom in both games because we've both had quite a lot of chances that we should have taken some of them at least. You know, kind of in the in the first game we hit the bar, didn't we? We had one of we had ones on the line and blocked, and they had forced Sanchez into a couple of saves that where they should have probably, you know, beaten him comfortably. And then the same happened the other day. Really, probably they should have scored in the last minute. He takes that better than. You know, yeah. get a chance. Dunk's only yeah, off handball it or something. It was a brilliant two block. Minutes, wrong, but... Two minutes into injury time, wasn't it? Ruben Loftus-Cheek, of course, with a Palace connection, having been on loan there in the past, that would have hurt. Um, denied by Dunkey. Um, uh, well, it at least avoided um, daylight robbery, or to be more precise, floodlight robbery, I suppose you'd call it. Um, but that really would have hurt, wouldn't it, if that happened? Um, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad at least we avoided that, because defeat would have would have really put the cat amongst the pigeons. The pressure would be on, the dissenters would be out in force. And I think Potter would himself have started to feel a lot more pressure by keeping the status quo and another game's run down. If, as you said, Fulham don't suddenly sign a striker that looks like it could be the difference, then um, I think we'll be OK. Um, and I think we can step on. I did actually moonlight on a on a Fulham vidcast the other day um, prior to the match. They were talking about relegation teams. Delighted we were invited onto that one. Um, it was uh, West Brom, Fulham and, and Brighton. And essentially they were quite boisterous. They were quite full of confidence and they might be able to battle their way out of it, particularly Fulham. Um, and after the game, I tuned back in to listen to what they had to say. And one of them was trying to put the spin on the fact that we will be really feeling it because we've dropped the points in that game. The other guy was very much of the opinion that he said, well, it's another game where we had the opportunity to to play better than we did. We didn't play well enough, didn't deserve anything. Um, if we'd have got the gold at the end, it would have been daylight robbery or floodlight robbery. And um and that would have been the end of it. So um he he was he was essentially saying we're not taking our chances, we're not playing well enough, we've 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 got an uphill struggle still, and it was a chance to close the gap on Brighton. So they have, got, ultimate... they have got this time is a, is a much more solid defence compared to when he yeah. went down last time. Mainly because I think, although I don't think we really tested him enough the other day, um, I think Ariola's probably the best keeper in the bottom half, pretty much. He's a he's a fantastic keeper. He's a good goalie, isn't he? Yeah. And the yeah. number of times he kind of punched up pretty well from corners when we basically decided to try and put it near him every time and he kind of came and punched and cleared it and you know, kind of took, pushed away the danger was actually really impressive, I thought, the other night. Yeah, yeah, we had we had loads of uh, loads of corners and balls into the box. But he dealt with it all pretty well. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, he's a good goalie, certainly is. Um, in terms of other factors involved, I mean, in terms of the team, we, it was a pretty decent lineup, I think, wasn't it? We had Webster, Duncan White at the centre with um, Solly and Feltman in the wider roles, Basuma and Grosh filling deeper in midfield there with McAllister and Trossard further ahead, more pay up top. Subwise, um, what did you make of that? Any changes you would have made differently to, to what he did there, Graham? I think he broadly got it right. We, we were playing well with the 11 players on the pitch. Nobody was was having uh, a mare. Um, and uh, he wanted to carry on giving them you know, good faith. The, the, the issue with Adam Lallana, we, we could have brought him in with, on with half an hour to go. And, and then he lasts five minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and therefore, the idea of giving him an extra three days in terms of his recovery made sense. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we've got a lot, Mope, Trossard, McAllister, Gross, uh, you know, Solly. These are all players who are attacking, but they're only getting one or two goals a season. And, and that's that's where we're letting down. Um, my overall view was that it was a match which we did not need to win, but we did not. Losing was the big issue. Avoiding yeah. defeat was the critical issue. And we managed that. Um, so it was... It, it, yes, it was two points lost given the way that we played, but I wasn't despondent. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I was I was far angrier uh, when we played Sheffield United at home, where I thought we we were yeah. poor uh, for yeah. a lot of the match. Agreed. Even though we we could have won it at the end. Yeah, I agree with that, and, and to a degree, it's true of Burnley as well. I think we could have done a lot better in that game. Um, yeah, so it, it was. Yeah, I, as I said, I felt strangely upbeat after it considering um but you know if we'd have got the win it would have been 20 out of 20 um from, from 20 games sorry um which would be the point per game average i think it's probably going to be a lower figure isn't it this year so 18 from 20 maybe isn't so bad it all depends if we as you said if we can pull off results against sides in the past we would have feared getting nothing from now maybe we can get something from would be good um of course um is, can you can one of someone at the bottom string some results together you know can I mean Sheffield United probably are already out of it but if West Brom got a couple of wins they'd be up with us if Fulham got a couple they'd go ahead of us if can we do it and pull away can Newcastle do it and pull away you know you just need a couple of wins in a row and down the bottom and you the things look very different and it's a matter of who can do it because we've not won two in a row since I think like October 2019 something like that is it or yeah. something ridiculously long ago like yeah. that when we beat Norwich and Everton but I, I, you know, I, I agree with you about the team. I think the team is the right one. I, I do wonder whether they might have made a brought on to house like that just to have something different, just because they weren't taking their chances and try someone else. Um, yeah, I agree about Lallana. I can see why he didn't risk him. He would have been the per- ideal player to bring on, really, in that situation, to open up a defence who were sitting quite deep quite a lot of the time and maybe that little bit of quality. But, yeah, if he was, if they wanted to give him a couple more days to not break down, I, I understand that. I think the frustration for some was the, the fact that they brought on proper and then pushed Grosh, Grosh forward. And McAllister was actually probably the one who was influencing the most and, and then mm. obviously went off. But we don't know his situation either, so we don't know the logic. The thing I was, I think I said to you the other day, the thing I really liked about the second half was the way that Veltman and White were linking up. Down the right-hand side, they were kind of, you know, kind of White was overlapping because Fulham weren't really causing us any problems. And it was really, it worked really well because without Lamptey, we don't have that pace to, to, to like attack players down that flank. So it's actually worked really well to have the, the overlap from White and the crosses. And he put in two or three quite decent ones, including the one for, for Mopé's chance. 
Yeah, I mean, White's been really impressive. And he's settled into the more advanced roles that he's also been playing, which first people weren't very keen on him doing. Um, but he's getting forward a lot. And uh, particularly in this game, he, he got into some good areas. Um, what have you made of him overall, Kieran, since he's been in back with us and in the first team? Um, I, but I think he's deserved his place. Uh, I can't think of many outstanding performances, apart from, ironically, of course, the one at Leeds. Um, <laughs> he he does remind me of Mark Lawrenson, in the sense that you know I'm, I'm old enough to remember Mark playing for the Albion, and he was equally capable of taking on that midfield role as well as being a centre half because he had the the ball retention and the ball distribution skills. And Ben White on the ball is uh, uh, is is a delight, uh, especially when he's going forwards. Uh, defensively, he's he's good most of the time. I think he's still got some things to learn. I think he's been caught out um, on occasion in the air uh, when when Marcus Rashford scored that goal against us. You know, Ben White was was turned inside out. So yeah, it's all part of his development. But he's he's twenty three now. Yeah, people saying he's a young player. Twenty three is not that young for a professional footballer. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's. He's looked. He's looked very solid. He's he certainly improved uh, the team overall, and I think that he's he's still got a long way to go in terms of becoming better and better. And th- there's no doubt that other clubs are monitoring him. And uh, I think, think the commentator said on on Wednesday you know, he's going to be in England centre half at some point, and I, I agree entirely. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's certainly a talent. And uh, actually, while we're on the subject, what, what do you make of McAllister as well? He's now started to, to break into the team and make an influence on matters. Um, do you like the look of him as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he mm. uh, he, he needs to do it for 90 minutes. He, he does yeah. disappear on occasions. But yeah. you can see that he is, he is one step ahead of half the players on the pitch uh, yeah. in terms of his ability to... Uh, see a ball, uh, but also the one thing that impressed me was that he, at times, he he, he was coming back and you know, take, taking the ball off players in in our third of the field and tackling well and things of that nature. So he's he's not a luxury player. Um, I, I think again, somebody's going to see the best of uh, McAllister. I suspect it won't necessarily be us because if he does deliver to his potential over the course of the next. 12 to 18 months, then, you know, he, he's, he's going to move on to, to bigger and better things. Yeah, I was really pleased with why he got booked as well, because we don't tend to do the very cynical kind of pullbacks in midfield that mm. other teams do. When you, I know it's still kind of like slightly dark arts of the game, you know, the slightly bad side of it. But, you know, that sort of thing is quite crucial. The guy was breaking away and he basically hauled him back and took the booking when actually a lot of our players don't seem to do that. They just kind of let them run, run and attack our defence. So I was actually quite pleased to see him do the kind of the dirty side of the game, you know, the kind of that sort of aspect of it. The Dale Stevens role, I think, is as it's the professional <laughs> way of describing. Except he does pass forward sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's got that bustle, hasn't he? He's got that grit and he's got that Argentinian spirit to him as well, which is it's good to see. And it's, yeah, he said that nasty side that Karen Carney said the other week that we didn't, didn't possess. So it's, it's good if we have got. Have we? We, I mean, I've been watching like 30 years and I never remember us being a dirty team. We always, we've always yeah. been a team who pick up bookings and city bookings and that sort of thing and often quite high up in the booking stakes, but we're never really a, you know, never really had that many yeah. thugs or whatever that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, I think the word I'd, I'd use for it is savvy, actually, is having the yeah. savvy. 
Um, because I think it can be, you could call it dark arts, you could call it dirtiness, you could call it um, cheating in some cases, depending on what exactly we're talking about. But, uh, isn't it? Because you've got no intention of going for the ball, you're just hauling someone yeah. back. Yeah, doing a Man City foul. <laughs> as long yeah. as he doesn't get injured like Laporte did doing it against us the other time. But, I think uh, the key for me is the reason I've not because I have been, I don't know how much you hear, you hear of the show, Kieran, but I've been very much on the on the wall, on the fence about um, Potter. I'm still not completely convinced. I'm still fit, fit 50-50 because of the fact I don't feel we've really progressed over the last 18 months that much. We seem to be saying the same things in terms of the issues that we're having as we did when he first came in. However, the one thing that really keeps me kind of without moving too far away from supporting him is, is, is the young players. The fact that he really does give the young players a chance and Sanchez is the latest example of that, but there's others as well, obviously, be Right, it's time. Our squad is so much younger now than I think we had one of the oldest squads under Hewton in the league, and we've now got one of the youngest, which is quite an incredible turnaround, really. And might be part of the reason for some naivety at times and some inexperience shown at times, and that sort of thing, giving away soft goals at, at silly times and not taking our chances. But that is the, the big difference I can see under Potter, as well as the style of play, is the, the age of the squad. I, I think he's also made players better. I mean, Solly March is a, is a classic. Uh, Solly, Solly under Chris was was in and out of the side. If, if he wasn't playing, nobody was bothered. Uh, he's now one of the players who, who we expect to see playing. Um, you know, the, the, the spotting of uh, Tarek Lamptey, superb. Uh, Webster Webster has improved on the player when he arrived, and he's now looking. Yeah. You know, he, he's looking a twenty million pound player. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm very impressed. Um, he's, he's been given a remit, uh, which is to develop players, to, to give us assets which we can then go on to sell should we so need. Uh, but also, and, and I love Chris Hutton to bits, um, it, it wasn't fun watching Chris, uh, the Albion in that last season. Now, it is quite fun watching the Albion under Potter. It's frustrating, but at least it, it, it is football that we are playing rather than having 10 men behind the ball for... You know, some some of those matches. I remember the the nil nil at Wolves under Chris, followed by the the, the one nil defeat at Spurs, where we conceded in the last minute. Um, and that was that. That's not football. You know, that's that's just trying to exist in the division. Um, yeah, so Graham Potter's trying to do it his way. He's clearly got the backing of Dan Ashworth with regards to that, and and it's nice to have a philosophy and an identity at the club, even if it's not generating uh, the results that we'd all like. Yeah, and I think while I don't, obviously we can't guarantee that our that our high XG at the moment and what, what we could get would actually transfer into goals, I think you can guarantee probably that Hewton's lower level will eventually get you take you down because you can't continually rely on one player to score most of your chances and you can't continually rely on your defence to be last ditch and blocked brilliantly and Ryan to be brilliant and that, which is basically what we relied on that season we relied on our central defensive pairing and Ryan in defence to, to basically stop everything and Murray to nick a goal and that was how we survived mm. in essence Yeah, absolutely Well, on that note, I think we'll break for the uh, end of the second part uh, and after this short interlude we'll be back to talk about Albion's accounts as published this week by the club, back in just a jiffy Thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. We hope you're enjoying it. If you are, then why not check back through some previous episodes, if you haven't already heard them, where you will find some interesting guests, 
plenty of match reviews and other observations on the world of football in general. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would really, really appreciate it and love it if you are able to rate the show. If you're on Apple, you can hit the five-star button. That would be great. Um, You can also hit the subscribe button. And on various other platforms, you can do the same. Any feedback we can get would be brilliant. Obviously, the better the ratings, the better. And also, um, if you wanted to contact the show, you can do so via Twitter at BrightonRockPod or you can email us, brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show one more time. Hello and welcome back then to the third and final part of this special edition with Peter and I. We have Kieran Maguire with us, our special guest, and we're now going to go through his, his absolute specialism, the financial figures. Albion uh, published theirs uh, for the year um, 1920 uh, accounts here on Tuesday evening. Um, the general headlines are that they've announced losses of 67 million uh, for that financial year, of which 25 million um, has been linked to COVID-19, rather unsurprisingly. Um, Kieran, would you like to explain in more detail? You've, you put a load of stuff on your website and on Twitter as well about this, but um, would you like to elaborate on what you think the, uh, the key points are with this, first of all? Um, well, certainly the headline figure of a loss of 67 million is, is the one which will grab the most attention. Um, we, we made losses because our income was less than costs. And if we take a look at what happened at the club over the course of the year, the money coming in went down. Um, I think we were, we were very unfortunate uh, in the sense that uh, as, as a result of COVID five, five matches ended up taking place behind closed doors. Uh, and those matches involved uh, you know, fixtures against Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United and Manchester City were four of them. So those would have been four of the biggest earners for the club uh, during a normal season. So we we were hit by that. We were also hit by the fact that uh, some of the matches took place after the 30th of June. So therefore, we didn't get any TV money coming through the accounts for those. So that's, that's more bad news. The wage bill went up. Uh, because we've recruited players, new players have come in on new contracts, and the the money which has been invested in the squad in terms of player signings that that's gone up as well. You know, since since we've come to the Premier League, we, we've spent 191 million pounds on players, and you know, that that's an ongoing cost where uh, we we weren't getting anything coming back in the form of sales. So, uh, you know, the, the transfer market showing a deficit, wages are going up income down it's all it's all pretty tough stuff um and and, thanks to the ridiculous benevolence of tony bloom uh, who's put in another 37 million pounds into the club his total investment is now 394 we've got a football club to support but we have to be honest no tony no party bloody hell (laughs) 394 you said there that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's a staggering total, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is incredible. And uh, I mean, there, there isn't, as, as you said, I think on, on your most recent Price of Football episode, um, it's not the cash cow people think it is, the Premier League anyway, notwithstanding COVID. Um, it's difficult to make a profit. And we, I think you were saying we were losing 800,000 a week without factoring in the COVID loss. Is that right? I think so. 
obviously those figures are worrying and um, for, for all clubs, um, I think Burnley's the only one that really runs tightly enough to, to not, not be worrying about those kind of figures. But in terms of the overall stats published, what, is there anything in there in particular which alarms you uh, beyond, you know, the, the stuff we knew was going to be um, the case, you know, the, the, the losses due to COVID, etc. Is there anything beyond that which is alarming you particularly? Not, not really. I, I know uh, Andy Naylor's done something in The Athletic, um, concentrating what's happened since 30th of June. And, and apparently the club has borrowed, I think, around about £37 million pounds, um, from some form of financial institution. Mm. But even so, that, that's actually quite common uh, these days. Um, it, it's, it's been effectively mortgaged and secured against future TV monies. Um, 2021 is going to be a really tough season. I think fans have got to be realistic. You know, we discussed that uh, the, the chances of the club spending large sums in this transfer window are remote, and that's going to be the case for all clubs in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, provided Tony Bloom is is willing and able to continue to underwrite those losses, then then I don't see a major problem. If we get relegated... Um, you know, our wage bill is not sustainable in in the in the um, in the championship. You know, the wage bill is over a hundred million pounds. The average income in the in the championships thirty odd. You know, we, we will have the benefit of parachute payments. But uh, what what I think is is good rather than bad about the club is that uh, if if they wanted to make those accounts look better, they could have sold Ben White. They they could have sold um, you know Adam Webster. They, they could have sold. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and so on. Hmm. So, so yeah. what we now have is a club which has lost money. If if we sort of benchmark ourselves against, uh, you know, say the likes of Southampton or a small club such as Crystal Palace, um, what what those clubs have done is that they have sold players in, in recent years. So, so Palace, you know, as I said, we lost eight hundred thousand pounds a week, ignoring COVID. Um, in, in 2019, Palace lost £700,000 a week, uh, every week in the year. And then on, on the last day, the day that their, their accounts were due to, to their accounting year end took place, they, they sold Aaron Wambasaka for £45 million and that wrote off the losses. So I think the Albion are now in a position, if they want to, um, to do something similar. And certainly the model of the club in that we have been recruiting a lot of players over the course of the last two or three years who then seem to disappear. Um, but those players are sort of either uh, they're out on loan, they are developing, but they are also now starting to be seen as, as valuable players who we can sell either you know, for half a dozen for relatively low fees, or we, we've now got three or four players who we could sell for you know, £30 million plus uh, in, in the present market. And the present market is subdued. Yeah, or indeed to replace players that we subsequently sell who are more senior already in the team, I guess, is the alternative. But either way round, yes, it's a, it's an asset which gives us some some cushion and buffer, doesn't it, uh, for any any troubles ahead. Um, we at least do have assets, as you say, that younger players who some of whom would stay and be hungry and some of whom would, you know, kind of leave for quite decent money to make up for the, get the loss, rather than, say, Palace, who have a lot of kind of quite older players who are on quite big wages who they find hard to get off their wage bill in a lot of, in some ways. And also they won't get a lot of money for it in, the, in transfer fees. So yeah, it's sort of, it's, 
at least our model is that is around that. If we do go down, I think they feel more comfortable about that than Palace going down. So, yeah, I'd feel, I'd feel very comfortable about Palace going down. <laughs> yeah, but in the sense of if I was a Palace fan, though, it'd be kind of. I mean, I think they're they're basically put, throwing everything at staying up by bringing in the you know, experienced mm. players who are on quite high wages. It's a bit of a risky strategy, isn't it? The Palace have got it's quite gung ho, but it works. Well, yeah. rather, it's worked for them because they've got mm. the Sahar factor, and uh, you know, if if the rumours about Sahar's remuneration are true then he, he's paid considerably more than the vast majority of the members of their squad. My, my understanding about the Albion is that we've actually got quite a, quite a, a close sort of cap mm. and collar when it comes to wages. And, uh, you know, that, that's good for dressing room harmony. I think that the danger, if you're going to take the Palace approach, and I think they've got four players who are rumoured to be on more than 100 grand a week, is that if any one of those players fails to deliver, then you've got other members of the squad linking, well, you know, he's on two or three times my money. I'm I'm putting in a shift every week and he's not. That that can lead to dressing room disharmony. I don't think that's uh, uh, an issue at the Albion. Yeah, we, we've got we've got no superstars. We've got a a, a very good uh, professional uh, squad. Um, yeah. Some of whom uh, have got you know a, a long way to go in terms of developing into e- even better players than they are at present. Mm-hmm. And you, you've mentioned, um, I think, somewhere in the uh, in, in the notations on Twitter that uh, we've we've got some money in uh, from loans as well. We've had Lacardia on loan, Andoni, uh, not now but earlier was on loan, uh, and obviously by one or two others. So I guess all those little bits and pieces help, don't they? Um, and as you said, incidental sales of, of lesser known youth players that haven't quite made the grade, that sort of thing. Um, in terms of um, the upside, there's one thing here which you've mentioned, which is commercial income being up as Brighton have benefited from property development and revenues at Monk's Farm, which is, of course, where the training facility is, is in the vicinity of, um, as well as player loan income that we've mentioned. Um, as far as the Monk's Farm property development side of things go, can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I'm presuming this is related to the IKEA development in some way, is it? Uh, yes, I think they have uh, some form of the Albion have got some form of relationship with, I think it's Carla, Carla Holmes, Colour development. Um, I, I, I wanted to find out a bit more about that myself, to be honest. But um, we, we've made over a million pounds in terms of uh, revenue exceeding costs, and I, I did have a word with the club, and, and they seem to think that going forwards, that's all that is going to contribute. So the club clearly is a strategy. Uh, you know, fo- football's football's a pretty dumb industry in the sense that. Uh, your your main asset from which you earn your revenues, which is the stadium, is is only going to be utilised for for twenty five days a year. Uh, you know, for the time you take into league league and a few cup matches and perhaps a pre season friendly. So therefore, it's not being utilised for three hundred and forty three hundred and forty days a year. Um, the club clearly has has ideas as how to uh, try to bring in revenue on a more regular basis, and I think. Some of the property development goes along with that. Uh, clearly, there was an intention to have a hotel um, at Falmer, and, and that got rejected. And I think the club hmm. do feel quite aggrieved with regards to that. Um, but yeah, that, that appears to be a dead one. Um, and I was I was talking to to somebody whose name I won't mention, but you might be able to guess who I'm talking about. Who uh, who was connected with the Albion and a big Spurs fan. Um, who, who went to the new Spurs stadium 
um, and went you know with with the family. This this was sort of during when we were in sort of in tier two, uh, and was able to do the the roof walk at Spurs. And uh, I think what Spurs are very good at doing is is what it's a terrible word to use this the disnification of football, whereby you do something such as the roof walk. When you come out of the roof walk, you go straight into the merchandise stall. One of the mm. things that you see on the merchandise stall is a picture of you on the roof of uh, of, of the new Spurs stadium. And by the time you've you've paid for this, that and the other, yet all of a sudden you've, you've been lightened by a couple of hundred quid. And, and that's what we've got to do in due course is to try to say, well, how can we come up with alternatives to the traditional way of earning money as a football club which is tv money which is completely outside of the hands of the club um, your, your commercial deals they tend to be renewed or you might get one or two new ones in a season and match day tickets well they can't put up the prices anymore yeah i think uh, there's there's the scope to perhaps match inflation at most um the only way we can play more matches is to get into europe so, uh, you know, that's that's a big ask or, you know, clearly we're hoping we get that could be an FA Cup route with fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's that's remote um, or, or to have more things taking place you know, in and around the club as a whole. And I think that's that those are areas which the cult club are clean to develop. Hmm. Interesting. The roof tour. I haven't heard of that before. Um, Peter, would you fancy a roof tour or something like that if they were able to do that at the Albion? Um, I'm not particularly a big fan of heights, but depend on how, uh, how much oh, right. near the edge, to yeah. be honest. I, yeah. um, I mean, anything, I think it's to do with families. We get a lot of families at the Albion now, don't we? And I think um, money just drifts out the door if you've got families, particularly young ones. Um, so I, I guess that's, uh, without being too cynical, that's a, a good route into generating cash isn't it as it as it will do with shirts and other memorabilia that's already on sale in the shop so i wonder if there is any any more that could be done along those lines who knows um, the big unknown of course for the club for next season even is what's going to happen in terms of season tickets who's going to you know mm. a lot of people are they going to be worried about what's happened are they going to cancel season tickets are they going to be allowed to have full attendances by august i mean they may not be still is it you know is, is it going to be because mm. i think it's kind of almost the assumption for some people is that we can back to normal by next season but i'm not totally convinced that we'll get full houses at start next season either because people are cancelling their season tickets because they're quite nervous or because the government stop us having full full capacity until quite you know until everyone's been vaccinated or something hmm. indeed um there's also accounts for next year as well next season yeah even longer term things. I wonder. I wonder what the waiting list is like for season tickets because it was reportedly at eight thousand at one point, wasn't it? Now there's always a bit of churn as well with stuff like that, and I don't know if um, if that that figure significantly dropped uh, for various circumstantial reasons. Uh, whether the effect of not going to football regularly has had an effect on people's inclination to go longer term, we don't really know yet, do we, on that one? But uh, there's there's factors like that. Um, but um, one, one word you haven't mentioned so far, which would be on my bingo card, Kieran, is Kevin's favourite word, amortisation. That's one of the uh, one of the things that comes up, isn't it, in the uh, in the published details you've you've put online. Amortisation costs, you've said, transfer fees spread across the contract life are up a third um, after signing Morpay, Webster, Lamptey, etc. Um, for anyone that doesn't know that, and you should be ashamed of yourselves because you should be listening regularly to the Price of Football podcast. But if you're not, um, do you want to explain in a bit more detail what that's all about, actually, for listeners? 
Sure. It, it, what, what amortization does is it looks at the the, the, the cost of the squad and the the life of the contracts that players have signed. So we, we signed Adam Webster for an estimated £20 million from Bristol City. He signed a four-year deal. So in, instead of saying that we've got a cost of £20 million in 2019-20, in they spread the cost. They say 20 divided by four. Therefore, there's a five million pound cost in respect of Adam Webster in each of the next set of in each of the next four set of accounts. Now, by the time you do that across the whole squad, what we have seen is uh, you know, over the course of the last decade, that cost has, has increased because the Albion uh, you know, under Tony Bloom has has spent more and more money um, on, on players. And, and if we take a look at the course of, of the last decade, uh, over the last 10 years, we've spent £191 million on players. So that's effectively since since we arrived at the Amex um, and our sales are 13. So, uh, yeah, that's that's quite, quite scary. Um, so, you know, that, that's indicative of, of where we've got, you know, gone, gone as a club. We've been a club that's been constantly buying and, and not selling. Um, and you you can't do that forever unless you are um, you know unless you are Roman Abramovich and you're prepared to write off huge sums of money. Um, whereas if you if you look at other clubs, um, you know the likes of Southampton and so on, who have had a development model, uh, their their net spend is is much lower than ours. So you know, our net spend o- over the course of of a decade. Is you know close on two hundred million quid, uh, and it's uh, I think that's got to be reversed in due course. Like the club can't keep on spending fifty to sixty million pounds a year more than it's bringing in in the form of transfers, and that's certainly something I expect to see uh, change over the course of the next two to three years. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I think I've said the other day on the pod the other day, we'd, I actually think we need to to make that happen to do it as well, because it's all very well saying to like the consumer if they sign that you get a good chance of, you know, moving up afterwards or whatever. But I think most players will use as as a stepping stone, realistically. I mean, we're, you know, we're, if they're good enough, they could go to a big side or a bigger side. And in a way, we need to sell a team, a player to a big six side to show future signings that they, they, they you know, the kind of the, the route is there. That players will, you know, d- t- big teams do like the players that play for us and might sign them, you know, for thirty million or whatever or forty million. And in a way, it kind of finishes off the loop that says if you come to us, you've got a really good chance. We'll give you the chance to show what you can do in the Premier League, like Lamptey, like Basuma. But you also need one of them to go to show that we actually do have the, you know, we we will a happily let players go if the price is right, and b that we'll, we actually, you know, do have teams interested in our players. Yeah. Yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah, and, and it, I, I think that will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think yeah. I think this summer probably. I, th- I think Basuma will probably go this summer. And, you know, in, in a way, if we sign this Casido, we've brought in Moda, we've got Alzate, we've got a lot of young players coming through in that position. And, you know, it gives them a chance to take make a stake, uh, stake a claim for that place. Yeah. It also emphasises the, the vital importance of getting transfer policies right in terms of acquisitions doesn't it we've we've spent quite a bit on players like the cardia and Jahanbach who for one reason or another haven't worked out either it's the wrong choice or it just hasn't quite clicked or whatever um the more times we get that wrong the worse the situation gets i guess um that's where we could close down that net spend in comparison with the likes of southampton who, who are broadly speaking a similar size club aren't they i think the revenue streams from what you've said on there is uh is, is pretty similar to clubs of a similar stadium 
and status uh, size like Leicester, Southampton and so on, um, notwithstanding Leicester getting in the Champions League this season, which they might do. Um, but I think, I think that's important to get those things right as much as we can, which is all about getting the right staff in, in the first place, to yeah, make I, I those right decisions. As Posses join, we've turned our policy around a bit as well. I think mm. having been put off by the likes of Jahan Batch and Lacardia, we've moved a lot more to play buying players from the Championship or even the Premier League like Lalana and, and Welbeck. But I think Veltman's probably one of our only couple of, yeah, one of our only couple of signings since yeah. Posses come from overseas. We've, I mean, Mope, Webster, Moy... Yeah, um, Lamptey, yeah. uh, Lalana, Welbeck. There's a lot of them from from over here. Instead. And of course, the youth, the youth players coming through, which yeah, is, so is bearing fruit a lot more. That's yeah, why Potter fits very well. Of, yeah, other other leagues in Europe where yeah. maybe like Holland, we haven't had a lot of success in the past. I think Proper is probably the main example of where we have, but generally we've not had a lot of success from from Holland overall. Yeah, um, one of the points I noticed from your um, your Twitter information you put out Kieran is about um which caught my eye was Brighton's highest paid director earning just over two million um doesn't specify who I don't know if you're you're able to specify or if you know um if it's who I think it is then that's a lot more than I thought I heard he was on not too long ago um I'm not sure if we're talking about the same person really but somebody you may have alluded to earlier on um but is that um Firstly, can you cast any light on that? And secondly, either way round, is that a typical figure for a club of our size or is that, is that unusually high? Um, well, if, if, if I'm, and I'm, and I'm not a gambling man, I'm, I'm not keen on gambling companies. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a, a 99.99% chance that that, that is Paul Barber. Um, executives in football are paid uh, Good money. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, Daniel Levy was on seven million pounds in 2019 at Spurs. Ed Woodward is regularly on around about three. Uh, Steve Parrish pays himself close to, you know, two and a half to three million pounds at Palace. Uh, although he has the the benefit of agreeing his own wages, which is always a good position to be in, I think, at any business. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul Barber is is well paid. In in my opinion, he's worth every penny because um, I. I do talk to quite a few people in the industry these days. And, and I think if you, if you look at what happened over the course of the summer, the one person who was prepared to articulate football's case in terms of return to matches uh, taking place before a paying audience, uh, he was very, uh, he was very uh, measured in his comments about uh, Project Big Power Grab and the, the implications for, for clubs of our nature, it would have been destroying. Um, and, and I've seen the, the, the I've, I've seen the reaction of the people in favour of Project Big Picture, and they are really hacked off with us, which means that he was saying the right things because that was a pure, it's a pure uh, greed um, issue there. Um, Paul Barber is on the uh, is on the is on the roller decks of every headhunter in, in the in the sports industry, not just the football industry, because he has proven himself time and time again to be a very good leader. Um, and, and therefore, he's, his, his pay, it, it says, says it includes a loyalty bonus. So you know, whether we can infer from that, that there was an approach from another club and, and Tony decided to see off that other club uh, through, uh, you know, first of all, promoting Paul to, to, uh, to deputy chairman, I think now, and and also retaining his chief executive role. Um, if if you want talent, you're gonna to have to pay for it. He's still on less than 
most of the players in, in the first team squad. So yeah, football is, is a, it's a very unusual industry. Uh, at most businesses, you'd expect the person who's at the top of the, the company to be paid the most. Uh, certainly, you know, the people on the shop floor tend to, to earn less and, and football reverses that to a certain extent. Um, and, and that's still the case uh, if these if these figures do refer to him. But you know, personally, I, I think he's the best chief executive in football. Uh, he he's he's open to to the fans um, and he's incredibly professional in the way he conducts himself. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. And I think, yeah, you're right. What well, basically if we weren't willing to pay him what he's worth or whatever, then someone else would do probably. And he, I imagine he's probably had offers of more than that from bigger clubs or bigger if he's other sports as well, but he, he obviously does have a connection with the Albion. He obviously does, you know, like his job here from, you know, that, that shines through from the times he's been on Seagulls Over London or when we had him on the show, he was, he's clearly very passionate about the club and has a real connection. And yeah, and that's part of the reason probably he stayed when there, I imagine he'd had better offers at some point, but you also need to, re- to, to reward someone. And when you're in charge of a, an industry of a, a business that makes as much money as Albion does and also spends as much, you need someone who is you know, really good at their job and you have to pay for that. Yeah, well, yeah. As, as you know, I, I I work at the University of Liverpool. Um, he's he, he he's made an impression on Merseyside. I'll say no more than that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean that is the big fear, isn't it? Losing him, and again, the same with players, same with managers, same with certain other key staff. You'd worry who you'd replace him with if he did ever go. Hopefully, he'll he's stay he's, for a long time. He's probably harder to replace than any of the players in our team, actually. Yeah. You, you, by definition, you have the players coming through to hopefully replace them, whereas you can't be having chief executives coming through, really. But I, mean, I know you can, but it's a harder thing to, to bring through you know, the ranks. Yeah. And, and, and it's very clear that Tony has the utmost faith in him and you know, mm-hmm. delegates the day-to-day responsibilities of running the club to him, which, again, all I can say, I can just give him an opinion. I think he does that superbly. Yeah. I've never been anything other than fully impressed with with how he handles himself and how he handles his business. Um, and he, he's hopefully the association will be a long one still. I mean, he's certainly, I, I think from what I've, I've heard, surmised when I've spoken to him before is that he seems pretty settled in the area. And um, I think it's a good employer uh, by and large. And um, hopefully he will he will stick around. We'll see see what happens on that one. Yeah, and if, um, if well, he doesn't allow him to do his job, which a lot of chairmen don't um, don't necessarily, then that yeah. must be a big point as well. I mean, do you think of some of the chairmen yeah. of the Premier League and how they interfere with football matters and that sort of thing, and the fact that Tony lets him get on with it must be a huge factor. Yeah, well, he, he of course does have us in his hearts at the moment, but um, traditionally he's a Spurs fan and it is snotting and Botsmuds that we've got next um, coming up, a uh, big game on Sunday evening. Um, will the Spuds have sugar without cane is my question um, or will the sun shine? Sorry, this dreadful punnery here. I'll stop now. Um, essentially, can we get a timely result, guys? Um, Peter, while you're continuing to facepalm yourself there, I'll, I'll put it over to Kieran first. What do you reckon in this game? Do you think we're going to get a result? I'm, I'm going for a draw because that's what we always do at home. <laughs> um, we, we have the capability of getting a result on the day. Who, who knows? You know, there are. Uh, it, it's always fine margins, but uh, yeah. if, if we are playing Manchester City at present, the way they, they're playing, I, I'd say you know, nil point uh, against Spurs. They they are a little bit hit and miss. Clearly, they they will miss Harry Kane because he's a fantastic. Uh, he's a fantastic all-round player. He's not just a goal scorer. Mm. 
Um, so that that was, and and, and you should never take any uh, any pleasure from somebody getting injured in the field of play. But yes, I, I was I was relieved that we're not having to face him and Son. Uh, but but Son again is a superb player. Spurs. I, I watched the Spurs versus Liverpool match. I didn't think Spurs were as bad as other people made out. That they made defensive mistakes and uh, and Liverpool capitalised them in a not dissimilar way to what happened when when we played Spurs and we beat them three 0 last season. Yeah, which is probably yeah. the best result we've had under Graham Potter at home. Indeed, maybe Conley will be ready to play. <laughs> he likes a game against them, doesn't he? Um, I, I felt we were a little bit hard done by in the game earlier this season. I thought Trossard, that could have been a penalty. Kane definitely engineered a penalty for himself there. Yes, we got our goal should have been disallowed, but, but two, two decisions against one, we would, have, we would have benefited if we'd have had all the decisions go correctly. Um, so I think we're due a bit of luck maybe as well. Not that that ever plays a part really, does it? Um, Peter, quickly, your views on the Spurs game? I actually think we might get a result. I, yeah, surprising. I'm, I know I'm not particularly normally the most optimistic, just because I'm naturally not just yeah, just I'm not naturally the most optimistic about being in Premier League anyway. Um, I don't think I ever went into a Premier League game expecting us to win or something. But our record against Spurs under Potter, I mean, we've been very unlucky to lose twice there, two one. I mean, we were unlucky in the yeah. game the year before, season before as well, and we we went ahead and then they they you know they 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 did they did just about beat us in the end, but we could easily have got a point, and we could easily have got a point this season and. Obviously, yeah, last season we, we were helped by one of the most bizarre incidents I think I've ever seen in football when Lloris just dropped the ball on the line and then injured himself in the process as well. And Spurs coming off the back of that 7-2 against Bayern as well. So I think everything did go for us in a way that day. I mean, it was obviously a bit of a disaster for Spurs, not in terms of its decisions, but in terms of a bit of luck. Um, and we took our chance really well. I, I think, yeah, I think a draw is possible. Um, they'll miss Kane. Um, Vinicius showed at the weekend that he uh, he wasn't he isn't close to the ability of Kane, so I don't know if they'll start without a kind of main striker or play start or play play on or front or whatever. Um, and they're not, yeah, without him, they're not those one of those two. They're not quite the same. So, yeah, one all made or something like that, possibly them taking the lead and then us equalising. Right, not that I've got a great record with this, but although my recent predictions have been correct um, to some degree, I've, I've been predicting some draws. Um, I'm, I'm going to push the boats out here. I'm, I'm going to say we're going to win this 3-1. You heard it here first and last. <laughs> last year, though, my, it was the, the 3-0 was the only game I, I managed to drag my, uh, my fiancée along to, so she did pretty well out of that. So I was kind of, uh, it's a shame that she can't come along to this one as Yeah, well. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a really, that was, I think, yeah, Kieran's right, our best results, yeah, under Potter. It's a really good performance. Mm-hmm. We, although we were a bit lucky with that early one, we really kind of took home our advantage and Connolly was unplayable that day. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. not, not happened often since, but that day he was, yeah, he destroyed them. And that, that third goal was brilliant, the one where he cut, he cut in off after Dunk's pass and held it past the keeper. Hmm. Okay, well, I've got one more question coming up in a second. Before I do put that to Kieran, Peter, any other questions from you? No. Or our esteemed guest? No? No? Okay. Here it is. It's the most important question now, Kieran. I have to ask you this. It's a bit of a personal one as well. Are you really manscaping? (laughs) Only only my wife can answer that question. (laughs) 
<laughs> if anyone's wondering what this is, it's to do with sponsorship on Price of Football. But uh, Kieran is claiming on there that he is. Um, so we'll, we, we won't, we won't want to know anymore. Really anymore. They sent us free samples, which was very bizarre. It was quite upsetting because we've also been sponsored by Audi and they didn't send us any free samples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one each would have been all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, rotters. Anyway. <laughs> share it week in, week out, you know, have a swap over each week. Brilliant. They're, they're certainly pushing the uh, boat out, aren't they? I've noticed their, their adverts popping up everywhere and manscaping guys. Um, it's a curiosity, um, <laughs> but not one I'm probably going to follow up on, I don't think myself. But um, nonetheless, everyone's their own. Um, Kieran, well, if they want to advertise on the show, they're welcome to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they're going to throw some money our way, I, I can pass the samples on to someone else. I don't know. But um, yeah, anyway, Kieran, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, as it was before, um, and we hope thank we'll get you back on again. Um, to celebrate our sudden rush at the end of the season towards the top half of the table, perhaps, starting with that 3-1 win I just mentioned, um, perhaps. <laughs> but certainly safety is the priority. I think I think I feel comfortable we can do it. I, I, hopefully you guys do as well. Um, and, um, yeah, so, Kieran, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Peter, uh, we'll, we'll finish the show in the usual way. So, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.